Good morning. Happy Easter to everybody this morning. <laughs> See so many lovely family members visiting other folks. I know the thrills the family to have you all here. If you don't mind filling out a card, we have one in front of you in the hymnal rack, just so we can say thank you for visiting with us and recognizing that fact. I was thinking this morning, one of my favorite times of the year was Easter. And that was because I always got a new bonnet. And I either had new white shoes or hand-me-down white shoes and my little white gloves. And that meant it was Easter. And we were hot stuff, let me tell you. We felt it anyway. So Miss Shirley Kay is still utilizing that. She's the lady with the bonnet on this morning. And you look smashing, Miss Shirley Kay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, also mention to you that if you're in the giving factor this morning, we do have the box on the wall for you to, to slide your, your tithe in or you can give online, cypherstreet.com slash give or the U.S. mail if you want to or even if you're just driving through you want to slot it hit it our slot of a mailbox out there. be fine and dandy too. I had a... Um, a friend that sent me something this week that I wanted to share with you. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make you put your little imagination to work this morning. But I think it's a good thought for us to begin with this Easter day. I want you to imagine two pot-bellied donkeys walking down the street in Jerusalem. When one donkey said to the other, just yesterday, I was here carrying Jesus, and the crowd was just singing and shouting and throwing down their clothes for me to walk on. And today, they don't even recognize me. The donkey replied, that's how it is, my friend. Without Jesus, you're nothing. And I thought that was very appropriate for our service this morning. I do want to thank everyone for your giving of the postage stamps. It has helped greatly. Always your gifts of any kind is very appreciated. Um, also, we wanted to mention our request that we have. Uh, you notice in your, in your uh, bulletin, there are a number of folks for us to remember in prayer and also uh, we're thankful to have some that have recuperated a little bit. Carvin, it's good to have you back with us. Hope that old medication works on those kidney stones here. <laughs> and uh, we want to be sure and remember Shirley Kay. We're so thankful to have you with us this morning, baby. We're, we're praying for you here. <laughs> I wanted to mention something to you this morning. I had read, I have a book I purchased from Billy Graham. And it's entitled Hope for Each Day. And I thought it was appropriate for our Easter Sunday. It's entitled Forgiveness and Fellowship. And it is based on Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And he states this. There's no possibility of true happiness until we have established friendship and fellowship with God. And there is no possibility of establishing the fellowship apart from the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. God says, I will forgive you 
but I will forgive only at the foot of the cross. He says, I will fellowship with you, but I will fellowship with you only at the cross. Why is this? Because only through Christ's death on the cross can we be forgiven and reconciled to God. This is why we must come to the cross, repenting of our sins and trusting Christ alone to save us. Human pride gets in the way. We don't want to admit that we are sinners or that we are weak, too weak to save ourselves. Only when we leave our pride at the cross can our hearts be open to God's redeeming grace. When we come to Christ, God imparts his righteousness to us. It is as if an accounting entry had been made in the books of heaven, declaring us righteous for Christ's sake. The, the divine bookkeeper cancels our debts. Sin is the second most powerful force in the universe, for it is sent to Jesus to the cross. But there is one force greater, and that's the love of God. Let's begin our service this morning with our first song, He Lives, a beautiful song we've known for years and years. Before we begin that, I want to be sure and bring your attention to Wednesday evening. Carvin will be leading us on Sunday morning. Uh, and, and Dana Owens will be here also for the Fellowship of the Ladies. And then Ray will be here next Sunday. Why don't you stand with us as we begin singing, He Lives. Today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. Eternal hallelujah, 
Jesus Christ the King, the help of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Beautiful singing this morning. <laughs> This is another beautiful song that we've learned, Jesus Messiah, beautiful message. Thank you. 
Children, I know there's something very special for you this morning. So I know you're going to be very glad to go to your children's time right now, okay? <laughs> there's your song. Brother Ray is going to come up and lead us in our morning prayer. Would you please come forward, Brother Ray? Lord, today, very, very special day. Excited about what this represents. And I've already texted all our area pastors uh, just to tell them and remind them. And I kind of think it's a theme for today that for God so loved and put your name in there. He loved you. That he gave his son. We celebrate that this week. And of course today the resurrection. So he gave us not just a savior, a sacrificial lamb. He raised him from the dead. So guess what? We have eternal life and, and joy with him. One of the things Jesus did in the final week that he was here. And we talked about it a few Wednesday nights ago with, with some of the adults. Is he went through an unbelievable abusive beating. And we all know that. You can study it in history or Roman. And it says by his stripes we are healed. And I want to read a scripture to you as we go to prayer. Because especially this week, it seems like all the week, if you look in your, um, I call it a bulletin, but it's not, your sheet there, uh, guide, there are a lot of needs there. And some, you know, this week we, we had Sister Shirley you know, be told, hey, you're okay, go home to, oops, we missed some tests, you got cancer, all that going on. We've got others that have significant needs. Some are spoken and some are unspoken. There's several families that have lost loved ones. We had the victory, amazing victory uh, Sunday, and man, I felt Carvin was just anointed, and then he has to end up in the hospital. Uh, so he was anointed a different way. Uh, so I have with me uh, some oil, some olive oil, and um, 
The Bible says in James chapter 5 verse 13, are any of you suffering hardships? And I would say that's about half of us. We live in this country right now in this mess. It says you should pray. So everybody needs to be praying. Are any of you happy? You should sing songs of praise, which we've already done. And perhaps we'll do again. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So at this time, I'm going to open the altars up or the front seats. Some might not can kneel. It's fine. And I'm going to ask that the elders join me as we anoint and pray, especially for Sister Shirley, if you would come forward. But anyone else that has a physical need, would love to be anointed, feels led, that you are more than welcome to come. Sister Shirley, I want you to sit. If this is your first time to see this occur, I want to let you know there's no power in the olive oil. We're just being obedient to the scripture. And we're going to anoint right now and then we'll have a prayer. And I ask that you join together so that we're all united in this prayer. Amen. Why don't you make a way, scoot down just a little bit there. That'd be great. Father God, as we said earlier, reminded in your word that the sacrifice you gave this week was most importantly the greatest gift of love ever. It's incomprehensible. That's, that's just all it is. It's incomprehensible. The gift of love that you gave each and every one of us by sending your precious, pure lamb, son, to give his life on a cross so that those that shedding of blood, we would have remission of sins and forgiveness. And then God, for your faithfulness to raise him from the dead and death be defeated. Oh Lord, what a joy to be a Christian this morning. And no, it's not by our power, it's by yours. And you have adopted us and we are now your ambassadors. And during that horrible Thursday and Friday, Lord, in the middle of the night, your son took an abusive beating. And you're telling us that by those stripes we are healed. That even today, not just people at that time, but all those born in the future, that you allowed to be created, you, you instilled in us the ability through Jesus Christ to come to you, pray to you, to receive healing from you. God, we know all healing comes from God. We acknowledge that. Thank you, Lord, for doctors and for your wisdom and things that you give us and bless us with. But, Lord, we know the healing comes from you. So right now, on behalf of everyone I anointed and those I anointed instead, and, Lord, even for those who maybe hear it online or can't be here, God, I just pray right now that you would reach out and touch their bodies, their souls, and yes, as we just read, their spirit. And heal them, set them free of any encumbrance, 
and God may they know by their faith and belief and may we as the church family and Lord we have some biological family here may we join around them in believing in healing supporting them and praying for them thank you for this church family that is so loving and so faithful and God we join together as one asking that you do a healing work in these lives and Lord on every person in the prayer list and those who've lost loved ones too Lord fill that void this Easter we pray and God I pray that you would just anoint the words and our ears and may we hear from you and definitely not hear Ray Owens in Jesus name Amen Thank you so much for allowing me to do this and I know that it's probably going to make us a little late, and I apologize for that in a way, and another way I don't, I'm being honest. Although you shouldn't have said as much powerful amen and not listen to the words of Ray Owens. <laughs> I, had to, I heard that amen real loud. That's great. That's great. If you'll take your outlines and look at the back of it, I want you to do something before we get started here. There's a few blanks on that, and uh, uh, some of those blanks are, uh, uh, you know, some of you are filling every blank. I was one of those. My dad, I had the privilege to be his pastor for a while, and he would stop me in the sermon. Now, what was that I was supposed to fill out? Oh, dad, you know. And then some of you, your personality is you've never filled in a blank, okay? That's okay. But I do want you to fill in one blank. The second line under number one, John 3.16, I ask that you might fill in this, for God so loved, and I'd like you to write your name in there. Again, I want to celebrate what God has done in our church the unity, and look at this. This little church, and there's more to come. There were a few that were out last week. Perhaps you didn't get a chance to participate. This is a faith promise of what God can do through us. And that's amazing because here was our, our goal, our budget, and really I guess you say budget and goal. Look at how we did. So maybe we need to give the Lord a round of applause. I think that's awesome. I've had the privilege to preach and lead some pretty large groups, and I agree with Carvin per capita. Thank you for your faith. That is amazing. This is for missions. Thank you. Bill Bryson, in a book called Lost Continent, Travel in Small Towns in America, talked about going to Hannibal, Missouri. A few years ago, I, along with a few pastors, took our motorcycles, and we were riding up toward uh, Canada and ended up Milwaukee and on around the loop up there, Green Bay, Wisconsin. It was a neat trip. God was with us. And we stopped at Hannibal, Missouri. Does anybody know what Hannibal, Missouri is? Who, who's from there? Mark Twain. Okay. So the whole downtown is basically a restoration as best they could do of Mark Twain's uh, hometown and the boat, you know, the paddle wheel boat out on the river, all those sort of things. And he 
was disappointed because as you look in the windows, there was modern things added. There was electrical wires, there was probably even a microwave. <laughs> You know, and if you've read any about Mark Twain, that wasn't there, okay, when he wrote his books. And, and so, you know, he was a little disappointed, and you can't go in at all, you know, it's just through a glass. They kind of took a mirror, a window out, and looked through the glass. He was kind of disappointed, but he noticed there was a guy that just seemed so excited and passionate about looking in the windows and going crazy over Mark Twain's house and also... You know, being a writer, you know how writers are. He, he just asked him, uh, hey, so, you know, you like, enjoy looking at Mark Twain's house? He said, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I'll even, I've been here 20 plus times. Wow. And I'll even drive out of the way to come by here and see that. Wow. He said, Bill Bryson said, I was amazed. So he said, tell me, do you see the home how Mark Twain wrote about it or how it is here? And this is what he said, and I quote, Oh, I've never read anything of Mark Twain, but I love to look at his house. <laughs> now, that's kind of funny and that's kind of crazy. And you think, Pastor, why would you start that out? Well, here's the reason. You know, sometimes that's the way it is with us, with Jesus. We can tell you all about his birth. We've been in Sunday school or heard about it, and we know about that. We can tell you about what happened last week that this past week and even today. We can tell you key stories. We can tell you all about it. We've looked all around the house. We've looked in all around the windows. We've done all of that. But here's the thing. We don't know anything personally about Jesus. Do you realize that can happen? Jesus wants a personal relationship with us. We need to know the heart of the author. We need to know Mark Twain, if you will. We need to know what's written. Yes, but we need to know and experience it personally. So this Easter Sunday, 2022, where we're coming out of a pandemic, praise the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. It's a wonderful story of the resurrection, and we're going to talk about that. But until we move from spectators of the resurrection to participants in the resurrection, we're really just like this guy going 20 plus times out of the way to look at this and see it and only get a, a visual glimpse but not experience or understand what's going on. God wants us to be participants in the resurrection. So when I move from a spectator which, you know, we all love football or different sports. And if you have children, you're a spectator. Although if you're really involved in it, you might be a spectator, meaning you're, sp you're spectating, but you're all into it. I hope you're not living your life through your children. But I do think that we get very excited about it and we get involved in it. And today we're going to study in this sermon series, in the cast of the passion, probably one of the more least known. You see on your outline, his name is Joseph of Arimathea. And what we know about Joseph is he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was obviously a Pharisee. And if you read all four Gospels in there, it tells us various things about him. One, we know he was a friend of Nicodemus. Nicodemus had a lot to do with Jesus early on as a Pharisee. And of course, actually if you read one of the other versions, Nicodemus went with Joseph to do what we're going to read about today. 
But he also believed in Jesus. In fact, John says he was a secret disciple. He was a, a CIA disciple of Jesus. And something changed in Joseph of Arimathea. And I want to talk about that this morning as we talk about the resurrection. The text today is from Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 8. New Living Translation. This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead. So Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph brought, bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus' body was laid. Saturday evening when the Sabbath had ended, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just as sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they asked each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. Women, the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus was going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled the tomb, trembling and bewildered. And they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Father, I pray that you would take this text and this story and this story of a real person that was changed and God apply it to our lives, allow us to have the freedom to share what you've laid on our heart and God may we be encouraged, we give you permission to challenge and to speak to our hearts, we lay down the barriers that we have, we prepare to celebrate communion this morning and God I just pray that your spirit above all would be in our midst and speak to our hearts thank you for the healing that is taking place thank you for the spirit that is moving among us and all God's people said amen, amen. like I said in John 19:38, it said Joseph was a secret secretly a follower of Jesus 
Until this, Joseph was a spectator. He admired Jesus. He was afraid. One of the versions talks about he was afraid what would happen. They have power, position, culture, all this ingrained in their society. And he was concerned. But on this day, on that morning, he made a decision to get involved. He opened up his own tomb. And I've actually been there and seen it. And it's not that far at all. In fact, one of the versions talk about they didn't move him very far. They didn't have much time. You can do nothing on the Sabbath. You know, Friday at dark uh, till Saturday, you can do nothing. And they just moved him not that far at all. Maybe 300 yards, 400 yards to this garden tomb. And it was sealed up and something happened. And I thought about this. What would happen if you and I personally got involved? We moved from being Joseph, who's definitely a believer, who knows the Word of God, knows all the stuff, and maybe we allowed God to do something new in us and transform us and move from being a spectator to a participant, even in a miracle. I thought about that. God has done some miracles in my life. And I don't think because I'm a minister or a family, I know I was blessed in a lot of ways. But I can honestly say, God is wanting to use you, and he has used me in more miracles in using me for others than I have seen in my own life. God is not a respecter of persons for Joseph of Arimathea, nor of you. And I want to go ahead and tell you this morning, God wants to use you to be a conduit or a purpose or a part of a miracle. All you have to do is be willing to be used by him. And I have seen him use me. It's like amazing when you look back a few months, what he's done, what he does in people's lives. We are now his ambassadors. He's sitting on the throne. And yes, his spirit is coming down and it's moving among us. But you do not have to be perfect. Newsflash. I ain't perfect. Okay? I ain't close to perfect. And neither are you. God, look at who God chose for disciples. For apostles, there's everything from ADD, impetuous, cocky, little baby boy John. You know, there's, there's every kind of personality there. God wants to use you and I. And he wants to let you know this resurrection is something that we experience. So how can you and I move from a spectator and become a pathway of a miracle? Well, I have that on your outline. I knew you'd ask that question, so we've already got it filled out for you there. First of all, make the story of the cross, the truth of the cross, personal. It's got to become personal. It can't be something you're looking through the window about or just looking at. As I said, for God so loved you, that's where your name comes in. God loves you. And if you don't believe that, read Psalms 139. While you were in your mother's womb, while I was in my mother's womb, he was knitting all my genetics together and forming all the, I won't even say all the acids and all that stuff, but forming our DNA, making us unique. 
And not only that, planning every day of our life out. And yes, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory. We've all messed up. Some of us might still be messing up. Okay? But he has an alternate plan. He always has a plan to restore. God's love did not stop with creation of you. It didn't stop with the resurrection. It continues today. God is still creating. I've been there. I've been part of seeing people transformed. From amazing things in Mercy Girls to things maybe not as amazing on the outside, but a changed life. And God wants to do that. It has to become personal. Boy, that's different when you read that scripture and your name's in there that we all know. He died for me. You know, Joseph, somewhere in the process, something happened. And I thought about it. Maybe it was the ridiculousness of six trials. Three before the Jewish, really, and then, or two for sure before the Jewish leaders and that he was involved in the last one. So I guess it would be the third one. And then he, perhaps he was there when he saw Pilate twice and Herod and saw the beatings, all the things that Jesus went through, the spirit that was there. Maybe it was when Jesus was attempting to carry the cross and couldn't and he turned up and look at, looked at Joseph in the eye. I'm telling you, if you ever saw Jesus in the eye, I think you're transformed. It's got to become personal. And for those of us in the room that struggle with emotions, I'm here to tell you, if there's anything you don't, cannot not not feel, you've got to feel and have passion about the passion of Christ and what he's done for you. Amen? You've got to know that he did it for you. This morning's message needs to be personal. Jesus Christ came for you. He died for you. And it, he wants it to become personal. And it's not a negative thing. Maybe Jesus, when he made eye contact with Joseph, I don't know, something changed from wanting to be a secret spectator to get involved. And he did a very powerful and dangerous thing. I've got on your outline a quote. You'll never believe God's power until you understand God's love. God's love is the most important thing. God is love. I don't know that we, I know we don't fully understand it. Paul says, oh, I wish we could, but we really can't, but try. That's a paraphrase, okay? I wish we could. He tells us the love of God is so amazing. And when we see his love, that lets us know his power. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 there on your outline says, But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so very much that even while we were dead in our sins, I like to paraphrase this, even while we were jerks, that's my favorite, even while we were jerks, he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. So it wasn't, he talks about rarely will somebody give their life maybe for a child or an innocent person or a good person. No one ever gives their life for a bad person. Well, let me tell you, God in the form of Jesus Christ gave his life for you and me when we weren't too good. Isn't that awesome? 
And Satan will tell you you're not worth it. And I'm here to tell you publicly, in case you don't know, Satan's name is accuser. He's a liar and the truth's not in him. Can I repeat that? Satan is a liar and the truth's not in him. He uses half-truths. He takes things and failures in your life that God has forgiven, cleansed, wiped as far as the east is from the west. And what he does is keeps bringing it up. And God has to keep telling you and me and reminding us, I remember forgetting that. Get over it. And I think sometimes this Easter we need to get over it. God loves us. He has forgiven us. Don't let Satan bring that up. You're a child of the King, of the risen, sitting on the right hand Savior. I hope every time you hear the story of Jesus dying on the cross, I pray from now on you take it personally. He did it for you. Second thing on your outline. Decide whose opinion matters the most. Whose opinion matters the most. Joseph wasn't the only one. Nicodemus, if you, read the, if you watch The Chosen, it does a real good job with Nicodemus. Uh, he wasn't the only one. And after Jesus got arrested, all the disciples, except Peter and Judas, which were involved in kind of betrayals and all. They were all hiding in the upper room and the ladies were consoling them. Like how many of you women know when men get in trouble, get sick, they can be babies. I expect payment for that ladies. Okay. <laughs> we're the same way. Our opinion is many times swayed. If you don't think our opinion swayed, look at what's going on in our nation and our politics and all with, with public opinion and social stuff and all that. We have even had a, probably two presidents ago was the first one. They, they congressmen and all vote based on public opinion. Not on what they know is right or wrong or what they said they were going to believe or what you went there. They're voting on public opinion. George Turtlebaum, with a name like that he needed help, at age 51, worked at a publishing company in Birmingham, Alabama. It was an open area with partitions separating desks where they did copy editing. On Saturday, one of the cleaning guys came by and noticed he was still sitting at his desk. And he says, excuse me, sir, are you having to do work today? The guy didn't respond. And nobody was there, so he went up, tapped on his shoulder, and he found out that George was dead. This gets better. George died on Monday evening, and no one noticed all week long. So they obviously asked the boss what was going on. So well, George always got here early in the morning. George always got stayed the last. He was the first one here, the last one here. He was dead a week. And no one even knew it. And I thought about that and I really wanted to bring that out. Now that's an extreme story, but in that quarter how the world is, we're so worried about their opinion, but many of the world, they don't care about you. I mean, even Hollywood in its sickness knows that. They'll even put out movies where, you know, you're real popular and then somebody says something about you and then suddenly you're not. Or they have all these movies that they put out about that. Even they know that. And that's how it is. I don't know if you could die at work and nobody, <laughs> nobody would notice. 
Maybe men, you could be in your recliner at home and no one would notice. I don't know. And that's great that he was dedicated to his job, but that's crazy. And I think sometimes we're so concerned about the opinion of our neighbors, our classmates. Wait till you go back to a 10-year reunion or a 20-year reunion. Praise the God, when you get to 50, I'm telling you, you don't care. You're just glad you made it, okay? I'm just telling you, it changes. But I remember going to the 10th one, which was a big thing. I had a big class up in Kansas. Y'all know, you know, I married Dana from Kansas. Now, my class had about 550. 50 or something in it and and uh, you know you go there and everybody's pictures bragging about the car they got and what they do and how they look and all that stuff and that's when I knew Garth Brooks was a theologian because and maybe it was my 20th I don't want to miss that out but I knew it because I remember some of the girls in high school I thought oh they are so fine man if only they could be the one you know before I met Dana of course and you, you go, oh, can they be the one? And then I go to the 23 union and I go, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. for. So it says, thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, here's the thing I'm saying. I think you get it. Ultimately, there is only one name, person, entity whose opinion matters. Jesus Christ. Read the Bible. Read the end. Look at history. Look at eternity. I've got it there on your outline. Matthew 10, 33. But if anybody denies me on earth, I'm going to deny them in heaven. Anyone who isn't helping me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is working against me. There is one name, there's no neutral zone. You can't go, oh, there's a lot of ways to heaven. I can't bend on this. This is a super duper essential of the Christian faith. And that is, there's one name that matters, and that's Jesus Christ. And that you have a personal relationship with you that he wants. There's no condemnation in that. He wants a personal relationship with you. So decide whose opinion matters. And look, I know if you're young, adolescent, it's crazy. I know sometimes some of us don't grow out of adolescence. We won't name any names or kick any arms. But we do matter about opinions of others. Here's what I'm telling you. Make sure God and you have a personal relationship. And that's really who matters the most. The third thought today from Joseph of Arimathea is this. Don't be afraid to exercise faith. How many of us would say that for me experiencing faith or exercising faith is difficult? It is. By the way, most exercise is difficult. You know? I don't know why I can drink a can of Coke and those calories, you'd think the energy to drink it would just burn it off. It, it doesn't do that. I have a swell time every time I do that, you know. We have to exercise. We have to move. Well, exercising faith. What do I mean by that? Putting our faith into action. Believing and putting our faith into action. And, you know, with even science, I had the privilege for about 25 of the 30-something years I taught at ULM, I, I had the privilege to teach 201, Introductory to Psychology, a sophomore class, and we were charged with teaching the scientific method and about experimentation for all the sciences. 
Um, probably because maybe our department was pretty articulate or something in teaching that. And you know, even science, science, I love science. If it wasn't for Christianity, there wouldn't even have been research, trust me. But here's what I want to tell you. Science has assumptions. And I don't want to get off on that. But there's just one assumption or two that we have in Christianity. And we, we in the spiritual world are outside the realm of science. In fact, it's over and beyond it. But here's what I want to, and one is that we assume the articles of faith, the Bible, God's holy word is our truth. And the other thing that we do as Christians is we know and assume and accept Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God, God in flesh, and is our Savior. We assume that, we accept that, we believe that, and we need to do it by faith, just like science has to do it really by faith when they assume certain things like determinism and prior events occurring and manipulation and experimentation and all of those things. So I don't want to take a chance on Satan and a chance on science, which, you know, we definitely have positives that science has given us, but where does all the truth of science come from? It comes from learning about God. It's amazing. Especially as I studied all those years in college and studying psychology, I was like, when we discover some truth, I was like, wow, the Bible said that. Wow, the Bible said that. Even then talking about prayer, sometimes Google it. Uh, when I went to Israel, they said, ask Rabbi Google. Because <laughs> in Jewish culture, you ask the rabbi, can you do certain things? And you can ask Rabbi Google, if you get a chance, about double-blind studies on prayer. Scientific studies on prayer where there's two groups they're all prayed for, but they don't know the individuals whether they're prayed for or not. And the ones that were prayed for were statistically significantly healed. Just look at that. If that isn't unbelievable, just I'm talking double blind. They don't even have a clue. Prayer works, people. Because God said pray. And God honors his word. And I want to tell you... Um, they tell us that 43%, you talk about faith, you got faith. How many of you will go out there and either put your key in your car if you've got one that's old. If you got one of those new ones, you just sit in it because your key's in your pocket. And you have faith that's going to start. And then you get out and go down Cypress Street and you got a little more faith that you're going to make it to the restaurant or to home. And if you have a lot of faith, you're going to get on I-20. And if you have amazing faith, like I experienced yesterday, you're going to come home from Dallas. <laughs> you got faith. Every one of us have faith. 43% of the train fatalities happened when people went around, the lights were flashing, the, the guards were down, and they went around to beat a train. And that's 43% of the fatalities. You think about that. There's more historical evidence, check with the rabbi, more historical evidence that Jesus lived and all the things that we talked about occurred than there is that George Washington existed or Julius Caesar. More 
historical evidence. You know, there comes a time like Joseph when we encounter Jesus and we need to put faith in him and be accountable to him. Joseph set aside those fears he had that he was going to get kicked out, no telling what would happen, and he went and got Jesus' body along with Nicodemus and he came and he took him off the cross and he put him in his tomb. And I love that. He took his grave and put Jesus in there. Here's what I want you to know. That's why when you get put in your grave, if you believe in Jesus, there's going to be a resurrection. I want Jesus to be in my grave. I want Jesus to go with me into my grave because I'm going to come out. With Jesus in your heart, you're resurrected. On this side and on that side of death. Death, where is your sting? Remember Paul, he says, I don't know what to do. If they kill me, that's cool. I get to be with Jesus. But if they don't kill me, I can take a thousand more with me. Or maybe 10,000, I don't know. What do you do with somebody like Paul? Who's that on fire for the Lord? That, I mean, there's no fear in that. That's amazing. Look on your outline, Matthew 9, 29. Because of your faith, it will happen. Anything's possible if a person believes. I believe... That if we have faith in something that God lays on our heart and it's in accordance with his word and if you're fighting it, get a prayer partner along with you, another brother or sister and if you ask, the only time you don't receive it says is if you ask amiss, with faith anything is possible with God. And when you unite together, it's amazing. Miracles happen when we let our seeds of faith grow. So God wants us to exercise faith. That's how miracles happen. Finally, God doesn't want you to, to just do a miracle for you. He wants to do a miracle through you. And I went ahead and told you that earlier. God wants to do a miracle through you when I was talking earlier. Genesis 12, 3, to the man Abraham, it says, I will bless those who bless you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Our Joseph, when he became, when he came public with his faith, and out of his personal tomb came the miracle of the resurrection. The miracle for all people. You know, I hear this a lot of times. I wish, I wish God would do something with my wife. I wish God would do something with my husband. I wish God would do something with my kids. I wish God would do something at work. I wish God would do something at school. I wish God would do something in Monroe, in Louisiana, in the United States. I've said all of those things. I told you, I'm not perfect. We've all done that. And I think the answer that God would love us to give, or me to give, is God would love to do something in those, but the most important thing is he wants to do something in me and you. You. It starts with you. It's personal with God. It's not about fixing everybody else. It's about personal relationship with us. And I think first he needs to do something in me before he works on Dana. Whether we like it or not, we're all pathways for others to God. Once Jesus descended, he said, go therefore everywhere and make disciples. We talked about that last week. In other words, God has chosen a couple things that's amazing. He's chosen us to be his ambassadors to share that. 
and us to be a pathway of miracle. He said, when I go, greater things than I did are you going to do. And that's some pretty powerful stuff. Okay? And, and I don't mean like you're wanting to do the Hollywood wow zap things. He just wants you to love people and have faith in them. And when they hurt or they have a need, you're there for them. And you love them when they're on top. You love them when they're down. And you just be a conduit for God to flow through. That's what I'm talking about. The story of the resurrection is not only a historical event. The story of the resurrection is something that we participate in by faith. All that power, all that healing, all his love, all his joy this morning. That God has a miracle for you. And when we become a participant, everything changes. I believe God wants us to experience him, feel him. I've actually been places and times when I'm close to him that I just know he's there. I think the Bible talks about pray without ceasing. It's like I know he's there with me. It's like we're talking even though I'm not talking. I hope when I preach most of the time he's with me and I hope he's speaking to me, you know. I hope he was speaking to me when I wrote this down and I try to be faithful to it, but I want to be faithful to him. And I think we need to get to know the author of the Bible, not just the Bible memorized. Does that make sense? God wants the word of God, the Bible is a book, but it's more than a book and the law it's to get to know the author personally and experience him. And then it gets really crazy. And yes, the preacher's gone nuts. He wants us to be the final chapters of Acts where we literally act out upon that word of God and be transformed where we're doing work for him through that. And I know that's hard to understand and that's probably out there, but the resurrection power that happened on that day in Easter and we celebrate today is powerful and God wants to resurrect some spiritually dead people that you and I know. So it starts with us this morning. If there's anybody here that's not sure if they know him as personal Savior. I know you know about Jesus, about him being born. You probably agree with everything I said, most all the stuff I said anyway. And you know that he was born. You know that he died. You know that the, the tomb was empty. You know that hundreds of people saw him. You know all these different things. But the thing is, until you accept him personally and believe really he's the Son of God by faith and confess our sins and say, God, and by the way, it's awesomely powerful to confess sins. Because get this, once you confess your sin to him, it's gone. If you accept and believe him but don't confess your sin, you kind of hold on to it. It's like if I came down to the altar back in the old days and I got down here and I prayed and I gave God and I accepted and believed. But, and I gave him all my sins. Of course, it probably need to go down to about right here. Maybe here. All my sins are laid out. And then I get up and go, I kind of like that one. And I put it back in my pocket. Or some of you might go back and go, after church, get a couple more. Now, I know that's funny, but that's sort of how we do. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, but it don't stop there and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is powerful. So as we in a few moments 
undertake communion, I'm going to read a scripture and they're going to pass out elements. By the way, communion is open to anybody that accepts Jesus as their personal Savior and prays the prayer with me. It's open. Okay? And when that time comes, it's a time to confess. It's a time for the believer to exercise a little more faith and say, God, use me to make this world a better place. And let me tell you, I'm going to get real personal. It starts in your heart. It goes to your most precious disciples in the world, your family. Woo, preacher, I can save the world, but I don't know about my family. I'm telling you, you need God's love to be a father and mother today. Can I get a witness? Whoa. To your grandchildren. Woo. To your church family. To your neighbors. To other people. That's where it starts. It's so powerful. The last scriptures. Scripture on the outlines. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now all of you together are Christ's body. And each one of you is a separate and necessary part. When we move from being a spectator to participant, everything changes. I want to tell you, every person here from the youngest, I don't know Peyton if you're the youngest, I don't know who the youngest is, to the, I'm the oldest probably. <laughs> All I want to tell you is, every person here is an important, necessary part. Do you agree with that? I'm not any more important than anyone else in here. We're all important because God's going to place us in spots and places. It could be in the line at Walmart. And you need Jesus to be in the line at Walmart. It could be in Ecuador. It could be in Germany. It could be anywhere. Wherever you are, whatever we are, you're important to God. That's what the word's saying. We're all important. So my prayer this morning is that everything changes when we get personal about the resurrection and we participate in it. Our worship team's going to come up and we're going to sing. And when they get up here. In a moment we're going to have four elders and leaders that are going to pass out the elements. I am excited about this being our first communion in two, two years that we're going to actually have uh, the juice and bread that you can get. But I'd like you to bow with me and pray a prayer as we get ready to participate and celebrate in communion together. Father God, I pray that in every heart, whether we've been a Christian for decades or Lord, we're contemplating it this morning, that God, we would realize that you love us. You want to do something new in our heart today. You want to challenge us to exercise faith. So God, we accept you, Lord Jesus, as our personal Savior. God, we accept this gift of your Son. We believe he's the Son of God. We believe by faith that he is the mediator 
He is our way to you. And Lord, we believe your word. But we don't want to just believe your word. We want to live your word out. Lord, now as we prepare to take these elements, we confess to you our sins. We look into our life and we, we confess our weaknesses and our, our sins and our struggles and we give them to you. And God, I ask as the priest that stands in the gap that you would honor every person's request to cleanse them, to separate that sin and those failures and those weaknesses as far as the east is from the west. And God, my prayer is 100% of us go out of this sanctuary today on this Easter 2022 cleansed, forgiven, restored, empowered, and personally a representative of the resurrection. May your power fall upon us, Lord. May it be real. God, I pray that these elements are not powerful in and of themselves. It's what they represent. And God, we're being faithful to you. So God, would you allow us to be faithful to you and follow your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Leaders, if you'll pass the elements out while we sing. You'll hold the elements until after the song. I have a scripture that I want to read. It says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. So whoever eats and drinks of this cup in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who drink and eat without discerning the body of Christ would drink judgment on themselves. But if we are more, we're more deserve, discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come into such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way, we are being disciplined by the Lord. So we will not be finally condemned with the world. So that's why when you get the elements, I want you in this time of song, in this time of quiet time, to like me, reach out to God. Give Him your sins recommit yourself in faith to him and then we'll take the elements together in just for a few moments thank you because he lives Bye. 
my Savior lives, because He lives, I can face tomorrow, because He So we hold in our hands the bread which represents the body of Christ. It was broken, pierced, shed blood for our sins. And this is a good thing because this represents the gift of gifts. And this represents the blood of Jesus which is remission from sins. And as I said... It's an opportunity that Jesus wants us to participate in. And as often as we do it, remember his sacrifice, but also rejoice in the resurrection. He did it to set us free and that we might have life everlasting. So on this day, as we take, we've already confessed, we've already given it all to Jesus. We want to accept that we want to participate in the resurrection. We want to experience it today for the rest of the time the Lord gives us and then one day when he calls our name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's sing the first part of that. Amen. Let's stand. God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He lived and died
Amen.